You know, in the apostles, the apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesian church, we're not going to turn there, uh, but thinking about it, he actually describes himself as a prisoner of Jesus Christ, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And Paul was indeed a prisoner when he wrote that book, that letter of Ephesians, as well as the other, what we know as the prison epistles, which are Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. And the prison from which Paul wrote these inspired letters may have been the infamous Mamertine prison in Rome, because it really was the only prison permitted within the city walls when he was alive. And that Mamertine prison was no, like no prison that we are familiar with or that we have today. It was originally a water cistern that was kind of attached somehow to the city sewage system as well. Uh, and in that cistern, there was a hole on top. Uh, since then, they've actually dug out a little place where you can walk down steps to see what it might have been like. But at the time, it was just a hole in the top. Prisoners were usually thrown into that prison cell until their fate was decided. It was a, a cold, dark, and wet dungeon where many prisoners died before ever making their case before a judge. Can't imagine being thrown into a place like that. When my wife and I visited Rome a couple of years ago. That was one place that we wanted to go visit to really get a feel for what Paul and some even believe Peter faced for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Christ. They believe that they were there. Um, and you know, that place is still a cold and dark and damp dungeon. And if you were thrown in there, the only hope that you would have to get out of that place is if someone lifted you out. Thankfully, we had the stairs. <laughs> but I can't imagine being thrown in there for any crime, even if it was one that I had not done. As we turn our, into our Bibles this morning to John chapter 3, uh, I can't help but wonder if Nicodemus, of course, we've been exploring what Jesus and Nicodemus were talking about here so far, I can't help but wonder if Nicodemus, as Jesus was speaking with him, was starting to feel a bit like Peter, maybe even a bit like Paul, when they were there stuck in the dungeon of the Mamertine prison. Because if you remember what we saw last Sunday, Jesus had actually been telling Nicodemus that he could never know the truth, he could never receive the truth, he could never even believe the truth without something taking place in his heart first. And that was to be born again. And of course, being born again, just like natural birth, is not something that you and I have anything to do with. It was something that God alone could do in Nicodemus's heart. But into this dungeon of hopelessness that I think Nicodemus was starting to feel even more and more, remember, as Jesus was digging that hole deeper and deeper and deeper so that there was no way he could get out of that hole by himself, Jesus lets down a lifeline. In verses 14 and 15, where we ended last Sunday, when he says to Nicodemus, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, of course that refers back to what took place in the book of Numbers. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, that brazen serpent that the people, all they had to do when they were bitten by one of those poisonous serpents, just had to look at and be rescued and delivered. Even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, Jesus says, so must the Son of Man, referring to himself, be lifted up, certainly referring to the cross, so that whosoever believeth in him, believeth in that Son of Man, believeth in Jesus, should not perish, but have everlasting life. 
You see, there was real hope in those words for Nicodemus. He did not have to stay in his dungeon of spiritual ignorance. All he had to do was, like those people of Israel back in the Old Testament, just look upon Jesus with the eye of faith and receive what kind of life? Eternal life. Life that would last forever. And then we come to perhaps one of the most significant verses of the gospel ever given, which even unbelievers can sometimes quote word for word, and that is John 3, 6. And if they don't know the, ver the words to the verse, they know the verse reference because it's just about at every football game that is ever played in the United States. So let's say John 3.16 together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, I don't have one here with me. I forgot to get it. But if you've ever gotten one of those little Gideon New Testament Bibles, you ever gotten one of those? Uh, every year where we would go out to the Harvest Teen Rally, there were some Gideons, faithful Gideons, and they would pass out a New Testament. If you look at one of those New Testaments, that verse, John 3.16, had been translated into probably 15 different languages, different scripts, for different tribes, different tongues, different countries. Why? Because this particular verse is known worldwide as a verse of hope for sinners like us. A verse of hope for sinners like Nicodemus. A verse of hope for people that are in that dungeon of sin and despair. Now we're not entirely sure if these words in John 3.16 are still part of Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus or they could even be John's own remarks about what Jesus has said. Either way, though, they're still God's words of hope to this world, John 3.16. And to every person in this world who is living his or her life in a spiritual dungeon of their own sin, John 3.16 matters. I've heard some people say, well, we need Christians that go beyond John 3.16 Christianity. And I think that's false. We need Christians that stay John 3, 16, Christians. Because this is our hope. This is the, the, the nugget of the gospel. This is where we find that hope that we need. And much like the Mamertine prison there in Rome, the dungeon that we face, the dungeon that this world faces, is a dungeon of deep despair and death and darkness. A place that no one would ever want to go voluntarily. And like many of the inmates of that ancient prison, there is little hope for people without this John 3.16 in their lives. And it's really as if someone blocked that small, solitary entrance. And really that, that hole, thankfully they had a grate over it when we visited, it's not much bigger. It's in fact a lot less the size even of a manhole cover that you'd find in the streets of Indianapolis. It's as if that small, solitary entrance to that pit, no one can break out of and no one can break into. But that's what we find in John 3.16. And really the other verses that we'll look at this morning is that the good news of the gospel, and really gospel means good news, is that God himself actually broke into our dungeon with his love, with his life, and with his light. And that's so that we might be saved. So that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
And so just as we said together from John 3.16, first of all, God broke into our dungeon of despair through his love. Say it again with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Do you realize that our dungeon of despair is caused by nothing but our own sin? In fact, we live in a world full of despair, don't we? How many times do we hear about lives being taken? How many times do we hear about people committing suicides? Why? Because so often there's a depth of despair and hopelessness and discouragement and despondency and depression. This world is a pit of despair. And really, according to God's own word, we are sinners. And that's the reason why we face this despair. We're sinners in our character and in our conduct. We're sinners in who we are and in what we do. And so from the inside out, as the Bible teaches, there dwelleth no good thing in any of us. So it's any wonder why there's so much despair in this world. But that's why one day God himself actually will take us out of our holding cells in this world and Because he's a holy God and a just God, he will have to throw us into the eternal dungeon of hell if we don't do what John 3.16 tells us. And when that happens, according to John 3.16, we will perish. To perish is the very punishment of our sin, and that punishment is well-deserved. But then John reflects upon what Jesus just said to Nicodemus, and he relishes in the thought of God's love. God himself broke into our dungeon of despair in this world through his amazing, everlasting love. And in this verse, we find afresh the attribute of God's love. Again, verse 16, for God so loved. It talks about the degree of love. It's a love that you and I might think that we have towards someone special in our lives, but it's nothing compared to the love that God has for this world. The love that God has for this world that he created is a God kind of love. It's unique to himself. It is a boundless love. Because in spite of all that the world has done to him, in spite of all that you and I have done to him, the fact is we are the world. Do you realize that world did not change who God is? So often the world changes who we are. So often it it brings out who we are. In the inside, but it doesn't change God. You see, even as John tells us in his first epistle, the attribute of God is itself love. First John 4 8, God is love. First John 4 16, God is love. So what happens? Into this world and into our dungeon of despair of sin, God broke through with his boundless love, so that whosoever believeth in his son should not perish, but have everlasting life. We also see the activity of God's love. For God so loved the world that he, what? Gave. That he gave his only begotten son. True love is a giving kind of love. It's something that is generous. It's not just something that is selfless. Selfish, it's selfless. So the love that God has for this world that he created is a selfless, giving, divine kind of love. So much so that he actually gave his best for us. What was the Father's best? Even as we sang just before the message, it was His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. 
Jesus Christ is the one who has been in the bosom as a father from, from all eternity. In other words, there's been this relationship within the Trinity from eternity past into eternity future. There was, before time began, before this world was created, only God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And God the Son, Jesus Christ, has always been in that connection, in that filial relationship with his Father from eternity past. And it was a relationship of unbroken fellowship and of unbroken love. And so that dear one, that dear relationship, that God the Father had with his Son, what did he do? He broke into our dungeon of despair by giving us the very best of his love, his one and only Son, Jesus Christ. But even more, we see the aim of God's love in this special verse, not to leave us in our dungeon of despair. And sometimes that's how we feel when we think of a criminal. Throw them in the cell, the deepest, darkest, dampest cell that you can find, and throw away the key. Could God have done that for us and to us? Absolutely. But what does he do instead? His aim of love was not to leave us in our dungeon of despair so that we would perish in that sin, but to offer us the greatest blessing and the greatest benefit of all, everlasting life. That's not just a life that has no end, but it's a life for the ages to come. That is, it's not just in quantity, but in quality. <laughs> Everlasting life is not just a time thing, but it's a true thing. It's about the kind of life that you wish you had here. It's a life that you can enjoy there. It's a life that you will not find in this world. And that's what he offers. So that into our dungeon of despair, God broke through not to curse us, but to bless us. You don't need to turn there, but that's why King David could say in Psalm 103, verses 2 through 5, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. Praise God for John 3.16. Because into our dungeon of despair, God broke through with his boundless love and gave us his son, Jesus Christ, so that... Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Before we even go on to these other verses, the most important question of your life is this, have you believed? Have you believed in the only begotten Son of God to be your rescuer, to be your salvation? Because if not, you will perish for your sin. But if you do, and if you are believing in him, you will have everlasting life. And all you have to do is trust Him. You know, there's, there's a connection here between the, the new birth and a new belief. And what Jesus was telling Nicodemus is, yes, there is a new birth that must take place, but that's really not your business. That's what God does. What your business is, is to believe in the truth that I've given you. And that belief will be an evidence and an expression of that new birth. So mind what God has given you to do, which is just to believe on Him, turn to Him, trust in Him, recognize that He is the only way, the only truth, the only life that no one can come to the Father except through Him. So are you trusting Him today? Not trusting in your own works of righteousness, which really don't do anything. When we think about people asking, well, you know, if my, my good works will outweigh my bad works, then maybe God will let me through the gates of heaven. 
But when you think of just how heavy one sin could be, you know that there is absolutely no good works that can outweigh even a single drop of a bad work of sin. It's only about Christ. Because God broke through into our dungeon through his love. But then John continues in verses 17 and 18 and reflects on not just God's great love, but he also points out that God broke into our dungeon of death, the death that we deserved, the death that we're all facing someday through his life. Picking up from verse 17, John continues, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world. Remember that. But that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So apart from Christ, not only are we living in a dungeon of despair because of our sin, but we're also living in a dungeon of death. Verse 18, again, we are condemned already, it says, because of our sin and our rejection of God's special gift to us, Jesus. And really, this is the way most of the world is today. Many that you know in your families, in your communities, in your workplaces, wherever you are, this is the state of this world, condemned already. But the gospel is that not only did God break into our dungeon with his love, he also broke through with his own life. When Jesus came into this world the first time, according to verse 17, it was so that the world through him might be what? Saved. Now we talked a little bit this morning in Sunday school how the second time when Jesus comes, he will come as judge. But the first time he came, though he is judge, he came to save. To save us from our sin. To save us from ourselves. So that we might be saved. Jesus came to save you. To deliver you even to liberate you from the dungeon of despair and death because of your sin. And so now when you believe in him, he delivers you from the spiritual consequences of your sin. The spiritual consequences of your sin. You can, in fact, be saved. You can be saved from all your sin. You know, I know that sometimes we remember the sins of the past. No matter how old you are, no matter how long you've been a Christian, the devil likes to bring those back into your mind. Do you realize that this salvation refers to all of your sin? All of your past sin? All of your present sin? And all of your future sin? Jesus came not to condemn you for that, but to save you from it. He also came so that you would enjoy a rescue from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and someday the very presence of sin. God broke into your dungeon of death to bring you life, to bring you liberty through the life of Jesus Christ. Now, so many of the prisoners in that Mamertine prison there in Rome were so filled with despair and hopelessness because it actually became the pit of their death. Many of them never even got out to be tried or to be executed outside of that prison because they just died in that prison. <laughs> and sometimes a soldier would have to go down there to get that body maybe after a few days or weeks or even months with other prisoners there as well. Imagine the stench. Imagine the disease. And there was one other sort of entrance, maybe more of an exit, if you will, from that. And it was to a deeper cell, a deeper room, which was actually part of the sewage system of Rome itself. 
So a lot of people died in that prison. But imagine the liberty and the feeling that you would have if someone let down a rope. Grab on. You're free. You don't have to live in that darkness. You don't have to live in that that death-ridden place. You don't have to live in that place of despair. That is what God did through Christ. And if you believe in Him, He will deliver you through the life of Jesus Christ from those spiritual consequences that you do deserve for your sin. But He will also deliver you from the judicial consequences of your sin. He goes on in verse 18 and says, He that believeth on Him is not condemned. If you're a Christian today, look at those words again with me. He that believeth on Him is not condemned. Now that does not just refer to something yet in the future when that final judgment day takes place. This is a present tense recognizing it's something that happens now. Right at this very moment, he that believeth on Christ is not being judged by God. This is why Paul in Romans 8.1 could say, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Get those words. No condemnation. No judgment. Not then in the future. Not even now in the present. Not ever. Because instead of condemnation, you are now accepted by God in the Beloved One. In Jesus Christ. In the One that you believe in. In the One who came from Jesus to save you. And now you know what you can do as a Christian? I love what Jesus said to that woman who was caught in adultery in John 8, 11, when all of her accusers who had brought her to Jesus eventually left, and there she was standing alone by Jesus, and he says, where are your accusers? Isn't there anybody here who condemns you? And she says, no, my Lord. And Jesus said these amazing words, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. That's what Jesus says to each of us who've been liberated from the dungeon of death. He says, go and sin no more. God broke into your dungeon to bring you life and liberty through the life of Jesus Christ. But even more, when you believe in Him, He will also deliver you from the natural consequences of your sin. And these natural consequences actually happen to everyone who does not trust in Christ. They will actually remain in the condition they were born, which was, verse 18 again, condemned already. You see, whenever someone turns away from the lifeline that God has thrown down to them, what happens? Their hearts actually just get harder. And that's what we find in the New Testament. The Lord says, today is the day of salvation. Don't delay it. If you hear the voice of God, respond to the voice of God. If you see your need of salvation, respond to the provision of salvation of Jesus Christ. Because you're already condemned. You already will perish. But if you reject that, When you hear that message, what's going to happen to your heart? It's just going to grow harder. You're already far, far, far away from the Lord. But all he says is turn to and trust. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. But see, that's not why Jesus came. 1 John 4.14, John reminds us that the Father sent the Son on that first occasion, not to be the judge of the world, but to be the Savior of the world. God broke into our dungeon of spiritual death, spiritual despair, threw down the lifeline of his own son, and the moment you grasp onto him by faith, you will be freed from all the final consequences of your sin. No condemnation now I dread. 
Because along with your new birth, you have a new life. Now, it's not just a new lease on an old life. I've been reading stories about how with all the prices of used cars and new cars just escalating, going higher and higher and higher, that people that have been on, have leased cars have chosen to actually stop the lease and actually purchase the car. But even though the car, you know, it's still kind of old, still like three years old, it's still that, that car. It's the same car. But when you come to Jesus Christ, he doesn't just give you a new lease on that old life. He gives you a new life because you're a new creature, a new creation. But then John further reflects on how God not only broke into our dungeon of death, but also into our dungeon of darkness through his light. And that's what we find in verses 19 through 21. Continues, and this is the condemnation. In other words, you're condemned already because of this. Because the light has come into the world, and of course we know the light of the world is Jesus. That light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. You see, apart from Christ, not only are we living in a dungeon of despair and a dungeon of death, we're also living in a dungeon of darkness. And that darkness is even described as our condemnation and our guilt. You see, God does not always wait to the end to judge sinners. We see this in the book of Romans, especially. Many times, God judges sinners by just leaving them alone in their, in their dungeon of sin. He just takes his hands off. You don't want my grace? Okay, I'm going to restrain from giving you my grace. But ultimately, why do sinners stay in their, their darkness? Why do sinners stay in their sin? It's because they love darkness rather than light. Again, we find here, men loved darkness rather than light. The fact is, apart from Christ, we love darkness rather than light. And so before telling us about the light, John wants us to see the reason for our loving darkness. The reason why we love the dark dungeon of sin is because our deeds were evil, he says. In other words, sinful conduct will always reveal sinful character. Sinful conduct will always reveal a sinful nature. And sin and sinners are always attracted to the darkness. They don't want the light. They scurry away from it, just like a bunch of bugs, when you turn on the light, will scurry out from the room and go to their hiding places. That's the reason why sinners love darkness. It's because their deeds are evil. But why do they focus on their evil deeds? Well, John also wants us to see our rationale for loving darkness. It's not just because our deeds were evil, but also, verse 20, everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. Neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. You know the real reason why sinners love darkness? And the real reason why sinners stay in the dark, no matter how much light God has shined upon their lives? It's because sinners love their sin. Sinners love their sin. And they do not want those sins to be exposed. They do not want those sins to be reproved by the light of Christ. And this really is an axiom for all sin. Do you realize that when you sin, even today, when you sin, it is because at that moment you love the darkness more than you love the light. When you sin, it's because you love your own will more than you love God's own will. 
When you and I sin, it's because we love our sin more than we love our Savior. And so when the opportunity comes for you to be exposed to the light of Christ, to the light of His Word, most of the time you won't go. That's why there's a lot of Christians or people who say they're Christians who won't open up a Bible, they won't go to a church, they won't pick up a phone when someone is calling them because they know it's from the church or they know it's a brother or sister in Christ because they don't want to be reproved for their sin because they love it so much. That's the real reason why people won't go to church or people won't open their Bibles or people won't come to the light because they love the darkness. You know, this has really been what's going on this week, I think, after the leak of that potential Supreme Court decision against abortion rights. Obviously, there's some constitutional reasons behind it, but the more people's hearts are exposed to the light of God's truth about life, the more they hate it. They despise it. That's why on a day like today, Mother's Day of all things, they will go to where this truth and the light of this truth about life is being shined in churches, and they're protesting, they're going to try to break up churches, they're doing all of these things. Why? Because they love their sin, and they don't want their sins to be exposed to the light of the gospel, to the light of God. But praise God, He did not refrain still from shining His light into our darkness. Now, if you and I were to see that kind of response, what would we do? Put them in the Mamertine prison. Shut up and seal up that entrance Throw away the key and forget about them in that dungeon of despair and darkness, disease and death. Let them die. Let them go. But what does John 3.16 tell us? For God still, in spite of all that, so loved the world. In spite of your sin, in spite of your loving darkness, in spite of your hating truth, God still loved you. And God sent His Son. God shined his light into our darkness, even though he knew what our natural reaction would be. So what do we find in verse 21? We see our rescue from loving darkness. We see our rescue. It says, but he that doeth the truth is coming to the light, so that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. Verse 21 shows you what it's like when you have been truly born again by the Spirit of God. You come to the light. This is what it looks like when you truly believe on the Son of God as your Savior. You come to the light so that your deeds could be be manifest. This is what it looks like when you truly seek to live for the glory of God as your Heavenly Father. You will keep coming to the light more and more. That's in pre- the present tense there in that verse. That is, you will not be repelled by the light, but instead you'll be attracted by the light. But why? Because now, if you are in Christ, you love the light more than the darkness. You love the life of Christ more than just living a life of death. Now you love the source of the light, God himself, and you love the rays of his light, Christ and his word. And now you want his light to expose and manifest your works. This verse, verse 21, teaches that a true believer wants his works to be exposed by the light of God. But that's not because of pride, saying, oh, look at what I've done for God. That's not what it's talking about here. It's talking about the light exposing the true nature of your works because you're pursuing purity. 
A true Christian wants God to shine the light of his word upon their hearts. A true Christian wants to go to church to be challenged in their faith and challenged in their life. A true Christian will want to be discipled by other brothers and sisters in Christ who may come to them in a loving way to point out things in their life that they need to deal with. A true Christian wants to be exposed to the light of the gospel and the light of Christ so that they can be more pure and holy in their works. The heart's desire of this kind of person is, oh, I want to be like Jesus. And if that's your quest, if that's your desire, then the truth is something that you're pursuing. It's something that is seen in your life. And if that's your desire, you will want to know all your works are wrought in God. You will want to know that God himself is working in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. You want to know that you're doing right. You want to know that God is pleased with you. You want to know that God is working in your life. And you know that that's why God broke into your dungeon of spiritual darkness, spiritual death, and spiritual despair through the light of His Son. It was so that by exposing your darkness, He might bring you to the light of Jesus Christ as the only hope and the only help that you and I have. There are billions in this world who are still in this dungeon of sin. And that dungeon is deep and full of despair, full of death, and full of darkness. There's a song that I remember when I was in high school, and the chorus was something like this, People Need the Lord. That was true then, it is true today. It was true 2,000 years ago. People still need the Lord because they are in that mamertime prison of darkness, despair, and death. That's bad news. Every time you go to the grocery store, think about how many people are in that dungeon. It doesn't look like it, but they are. Every time you go through your neighborhood, think about how many people are in that dungeon. Again, it doesn't look like it. They're out there mowing their lawn. They're planting a garden. They're doing this, that, or the other, but they are. But the good news of the gospel is that God himself, the one who created you and created them and formed you and formed them, actually broke into that dungeon. He didn't seal it off, threw away the key, said, I'm just going to let them get what they deserve. He broke into our dungeon because of his love, through his life, and through his light. And he sent down to us, Jesus Christ, our lifeline. And all we have to do is go to him and grasp onto him with faith. That's all it is. In the person work of his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. And he did all of this. So once again, John 3.16, whosoever believeth in him. That's the call of God to sinners. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. If you are still in your dungeon of despair and death and darkness, won't you believe in Jesus Christ? Won't you turn to him and trust him? I don't know your heart. Only God knows your heart. I don't know if you're in that dungeon. Only God and you know if you're in that dungeon. And if you're in there, just look unto Him and be saved. Turn to and trust in Him as your Savior. But if you have been rescued, and if you have been released, if you have been liberated, never forget to live now according to that liberation. Never forget to live according to the love and the life and the light of your Savior, Jesus Christ, and keep coming to the light. Oh, we know that we still get 
exposed to this world. We know that we still struggle with sin. We know that that old man sometimes creeps up. We know that sometimes we do yield to that temptation and that, that yielding is sin. And that's why we need to keep exposing ourselves to the light. Keep exposing yourselves to Christ. Keep exposing yourself to the Word of God. Keep digging into the Word of God. Meditation, memorization, study, coming together to, on the Lord's Day to worship Him and learn from Him because that is what a person, a true Christian is going to do. They're going to keep coming to the light so that He does expose us so that we will know if our works are truly wrought in God. What a wonderful truth John 3.16 is, and that's where it all starts. God so loved this world that he broke into our dungeon and he sent down the lifeline of his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whosoever believeth in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's close in prayer. Gracious Father, we thank you for this wonderful message of hope and help through the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you will touch each one of our hearts here today. Lord, we know that whether we are a a sinner still in our, the dungeon of our sin, or we're a saint, having been released from that, Lord, that we need this truth. We need this gospel. This is the very foundation of our faith, the foundation of our release, the foundation of our redemption, the foundation of our new life in Christ. Help us, Lord, to never get over John 3.16. Thank, thank you, Lord, that in your love, you reached into our Deep, dark, damp pits of sin and sent us life and immortality through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So now, Lord, we can live according to the light that you've given to us. Oh, Father, help us to rejoice as Christians in that truth. No condemnation. And live for you to go and sin no more. For it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.